When it comes to the history of this part of Ontario, there are so many incredibly interesting and compelling stories. There's the Donnelly Massacre, the Amherstburg Rebellion, and the Victoria Steamboat Disaster. But some of the most interesting stories are the ones that don't get told very often. Stories involving black Canadians and black people who came from the U.S. to escape slavery. There was a time when Ontario was seen as a safe haven for escaped slaves and a place where their descendants could flourish and be truly free. Laws in Ontario were progressive for the era and they provided some safety. But it's important to recognize that laws are only as good as the people upholding them and that while black people escaped slavery by coming to Ontario, that doesn't mean they necessarily escaped racism. And that's as true now as it was in the 1800s. And perhaps that is why it's important that we have Black History Month so that these stories get the attention they deserve. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we tell one of those stories, the story of Josiah Henson, an escaped slave who, it's believed, inspired Harriet Beecher Stowe to write Uncle Tom's Cabin. Here's your host, Craig Needles. It is crucial that we learn the stories that help shape Canada as a country, and today, the story we're going to talk about is that of Josiah Henson. He's a man who inspired the story of Uncle Tom, a fugitive slave who eventually settled in Dresden. This is his story. He was a husband. He was a preacher. He was an author. He was an abolitionist. And above all, he was an educator who, um, once he found freedom, wanted to provide opportunities for other uh, freedom seekers that uh, came up and followed him on the Underground Railroad to Freedom here in Canada. But he was born into slavery in Charles County, Maryland, on a plantation known as LaGrange. Um, it was a tobacco plantation. Um, his mother was owned by a man by the name of Francis Newman. Sorry, uh, it was owned by a man by the name of Josiah McPherson. And uh, she was lent out to work on a plantation by a man named Francis Newman. And that's where Josiah was born on that plantation. First thing he remembers is seeing his father with his uh, ear bloody because his father had tried to protect his wife from being raped by an overseer. And as a result, he, he was made an example of because he had touched a white person. He was taken to the center of the plantation he was tied to a post, lashed a hundred times on the back, and his right ear was tacked to the to the post and then cut off. And Henson says that was his his earliest memory of his childhood was seeing his father with his his ear bloody. And unfortunately, his father was seen as somewhat of a troublemaker on the plantation, so they wanted to make an example of him and and sold him south to Alabama. And to be sold south. Uh, from Maryland was really a fear of many of the enslaved workers because they knew that life in on the southern plantations was extremely harsh and cruel. And so whatever happened to Henson's father, we don't know. Um, but he never did see him again. That was Stephen Cook, site manager and curator at the Uncle Tom's Cabin Historic Site in Dresden. Despite the trials during the early portion of his life, Josiah Henson was resilient he wound up rising in the ranks in the plantation on which he worked. Josiah Henson remembers being uh, taken out to the to the fields with buckets of water to, to give to the workers. And eventually a hole was put into his hand and he had to uh, work beside them as well. Um, so he, he proved himself to be really a, 
uh, a strong, reliable uh, worker on the plantation. And eventually, as time passed, his owner, Mr. Riley, saw potential in him. So he promoted him to being an overseer of the plantation, which was really rare in those days to have a black man in that position. But his owner trusted him. He trusted him to to uh, coordinate the work schedule on the plantation, to go into town and sell uh, the the crops that they raised in the fields. And Henson took he wore that with a, a sense of pride, being having that uh, that uh, responsibility. But he also used it to help out the other workers. He says in his autobiography that he would he would uh, take uh, chickens and pigs during the day and 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 shoo them into the forest, and then at night cut them up and give that meat to the other uh, workers that he knew weren't getting fed enough. Um, so he he did. He used that position the best way he could to support um, his family and other workers on the plantation. Eventually, that Mr. Riley, um, who had promoted him to overseer, he he got into such debt because there was lawsuits against him from his uh, his own family members, and he was in court battles. And he knew that uh, as a result of these court battles, he might lose possession of his enslaved workers. Josiah was asked to take them to the owner's brother's plantation in Kentucky. The route on the journey south included passing through some free states with the potential to make an immediate escape. But Henson had made a promise to the man who owned him. And as you get to know Josiah, you'll realize that he did keep his promises. In Henson's autobiography, he said there's one regret that he ever had in his life. And that was when crossing um, from Maryland, heading to Kentucky, they saw on the other side of the Ohio River some free slaves because the Ohio River separated the northern uh, free states from the southern slave states. And they were beckoning to the Henson and this this train of 20 other enslaved people to to make a break for freedom. You get across the river here and you'll you'll be free. But Josiah Henson was a man of his word. And early in his life, that was instilled in him by his mother. Choosing not to escape, he arrived in Kentucky. When he got there, it was quite shocking because this Amos Riley, his plantation was much larger than his brother Isaac's in Maryland. And Josiah realized he's now just become one of many other workers on the plantation. And he feared about his future. And he had a good reason to be fearful because as time went by, weeks passed, he noticed one by one, those other workers that he had led to Kentucky were being sold off. They were disappearing and being put on an auction block and sold south. And Henson feared that that's what would happen to him. So he decided to get permission to go back to Maryland and negotiate to buy his freedom. That He knew that was the only way he was going to get out of being enslaved. So he went back to Maryland, negotiated with Isaac Riley to buy his freedom over a two-day period. And a contract was, was drawn up. By that time, as an overseer, Josiah had saved a bit of money. And by selling some clothes and his horse, he was able to raise $350. So his owner, Mr. Riley, said... If you give me another $100, I'm going to set you free. So the contract was drawn up. Henson went back to uh, Kentucky to let his wife know about this wonderful news. 
And he could tell when he arrived at the plantation by the distress on her face that something's wrong. And it was soon made clear to Henson that those freedom papers that he thought said you owe a hundred dollars actually said you owe a thousand dollars. His owner took advantage of the fact that he didn't know how to read or write. And so knowing now that he had to raise a thousand dollars instead of a hundred, Henson knew that he'd never be able to raise that kind of money in his lifetime. So hearing that he was going to be sold in the slave markets in New Orleans, he decided if I can't buy my freedom, I'm going to steal it. And so uh, he came to his wife, Charlotte, and he said, we, we're going to make a break for freedom. And I need you and, and the, the four kids to come with me. But Charlotte didn't want to go. She was terrified. She only knew life on the plantation um, and was fearful of what might happen to her, her young family if they were to try and escape. Because certainly they'd heard the horror stories of, of runaways being recaptured, brought back to the plantation and being whipped and tortured. And so Henson said, well, Charlotte, my dear wife, if you're not going to come with me, I'm just going to take our youngest child and make a break for freedom. And Charlotte couldn't, she couldn't stand the thought of being separated from her youngest child. So she agreed to make, to make the journey with him. So they slipped into the night, got into a rowboat. It was not an easy decision to escape slavery. It was a dangerous and high-risk endeavor. What made the decision even more difficult was, at the time Josiah and his family decided to escape, the Underground Railroad hadn't been fully established yet. They had to be resourceful. The Henson family didn't have any kind of assistance. They just had to use their own wit and intelligence and courage to make, to make their way. And Henson said that eventually the food was exhausted that they brought with them. And so they started knocking on random cabin doors in the woods. And he re recalls on one such occasion, he knocked on the door and uh, the mother answered the door that lived there. And he asked if they could please have some kind of provision, some food and water to help them. And so she disappeared into the house and came back, but her husband met them at the door and said, no, 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 we're not giving you any kind of assistance. They knew they could be put in jail or fine for aiding an enslaved person. So they shut the door in their face. And much to the Henson's relief, the mother quickly caught up with them in the woods and she had brought that bundle of provisions for them. So that was one opportunity where they were saved by the grace of, of another person. Um, but there was other occasions Henson recalls having to take off his boot. Imagine how dirty the boot would be after all this journey and had to use it to scoop up water into a stream from a stream and take it to his young children and have them drink out of the boot. That's how, that's how, um, the journey was for some of these, these, these enslaved people, never knowing whether you're going to make it from one, uh, one night to the next. Um, but, but taking every opportunity you could to, to see, see your way to survival. Malnourishment wasn't the only obstacle. This is Leslie Harper. She's the director of Niagara Bound Tours, where they focus on black historical sites in the region. So you'd have bounty hunters. And if the bounty hunters got you up until 1834, because we had slavery here in Canada, you could be arrested, 
thrown into jail and we would extradite, Canada would extradite, well, Upper Canada would extradite you back to the U.S. with the bounty hunter. They didn't care if you were dead or alive. Sometimes you could, they just kill them, just kill them. Doesn't matter. Sometimes it would be, sometimes they would grab someone else that looked like that person who had never been enslaved. You may have seen a movie, 12 Years a Slave, about Solomon Northrop, who had never been enslaved. That didn't just happen to him. It would have happened to many because if you were a certain body type and in good shape, what have you, or a woman in good shape, childbearing years, you're good to go. Didn't matter. We weren't people. We were like livestock in the minds of many um, that were involved in the slave trade. And what they did get you, um, they could kill you, they could beat and whip you. And I don't mean beat and whip in a mild way. I mean beat and whip to your bleeding. Um, Infections could take place. Given very little water and food on your way back, they don't care. We aren't important. Very severe, very severe. And you could be sent further south where they like to say the treatment was more severe. And it wasn't a short trip either. What's remarkable about that 700-mile journey to freedom was that when he was uh, enslaved on the plantation and was an overseer, it was the duty of the overseer on weekends to go into town with your master to take him to to the bars where, uh, of course, they gambled and drank. And inevitably there would be fights that broke out in the bar. And so it was the job of the overseer to go into the bar when a fight broke out and bring out your master and get him back on that wagon and get him home safely. Well, on one of these occasions, Josiah, in all this melee of the bar fight, he accidentally bumped into a neighboring overseer, a white overseer. And that overseer held the grudge against Josiah Henson so that a few weeks later, When Josiah was crossing this overseer's property, he cornered him along with some of his enslaved workers. They cornered Josiah in the back of the property. They got some of those cedar rail fence posts and they beat Josiah about his head and his shoulders to the point that his shoulder blades were were crushed. And in those days, they didn't give you medical attention if you were an enslaved person. So his bones just had to heal on their own over time. On that 700-mile journey, Josiah could feel every step he took because two of the children were carried in a knapsack on on his back. And the weight of them on those broken shoulder blades caused him excruciating pain, but he knew every step further from Kentucky was one closer to freedom here in Canada. Eventually worked their way up into Ohio, got to Sandusky right there at the lake, and there was a captain that was um, docked there, and Josiah thought, well, this may be an opportunity for me to make some money, so maybe I'll ask him if I can help load the boat. Um, And the captain said, Um, I can't pay you, but I can give you free passage. Where are you headed? And Josiah said, well, I'm trying to make it to Canada, the land of the free. And the captain said, well, I'm going up the coast to Buffalo, New York. 
And you're more than you and your family are more than welcome to come with us. And after a long and difficult journey, they were finally free. Josiah and his family settled in Ontario, where they built a life not just for themselves, but for a community of other people who had escaped slavery. By fact that they arrived as refugees, the Henson family were free upon arrival. So stayed there in the Fort Erie area for about six, seven years, then came down near Windsor Way a place called Colchester, where there was government tracts of land that he had convinced some other Black families to come and, and rent. And they they settled on that land for about another six years. But they soon realized all this labor that we're putting into this land, is got some of it's got to go back to the government in rent. Why don't we strike out on our own so that we can um, get the keep the benefits of, of the profit that we're putting into this land, the labor we're putting into this land. So they called a convention in London, Ontario, of all the black leaders from this part of the province. And it was decided that Josiah Henson and a, a, a missionary from Oberlin, Ohio, by the name of Hiram Wilson, they would be put in charge of scouting out all of the land between the lakes here from Toronto area all the way down um, to Sarnia, to Windsor, and determine where would be the ideal place to start a Black settlement. And when the Henson and Wilson saw the land here in Dresden, how fertile it was, and the Sydenham River that weaved through the land here, they thought, this is the spot. We can live off of the land. We can cut down these beautiful black walnut trees that are here on the land, load them on our boats and ship them by different tributaries all the way to Boston and sell the lumber there to bring it back and invest into the land. So in 1841, a number of families came here to the Dresden area and settled. And it wasn't long before they started up a school. As I said at the start, Josiah's uh, number one interest once he found freedom was education for other freedom seekers so that they would have the best opportunity once they arrived here. So they started this school, the British American Institute. It attracted over time, over 500 other runaways that had followed Henson up on the Underground Railroad. There was a sawmill, there was a grain mill, a rope factory, a brickyard, all of these small industries where these former enslaved people could learn the skill set that they would need to survive here in this new climate. That all became known as the Dawn Settlement, D-A-W-N, as in the dawn of a new day for, the, for these former slaves. Josiah could have become complacent in his new life and lived in peace, but instead he decided to make trips back across the border to free more people who were enslaved, which meant putting his own life at risk again. That's the remarkable thing. One of the many remarkable things about Henson was him using the Underground Railroad in reverse. We often hear about the thousands that came up to Canada uh, traveling from south to north. Um, but Henson went from north to south. In, in Canada, um, there was an estimated 15 to 20,000 runaways that um, made it here on the Underground Railroad. And Henson says in his autobiography, he's responsible for rescuing 118 of them. And the accomplishments didn't go unnoticed. So Henson made three trips over to England in his lifetime. And the first trip was 1851. And that's when the World's Fair was taking place. 
in London, England. They built this massive structure called the Crystal Palace made out of steel and glass that was used to as a ex- major exhibition hall. And so Josiah decided he wanted to go to London to exhibit at the World's Fair and try and promote the market for lumber that was here in Dresden, this beautiful black walnut that was growing across the, the region. And millions of people came through the Crystal Palace. Um, one of them, of course, was Queen Victoria. She always toured the, the exhibits. And Henson says he overheard her asking her aid, is he really a former slave living in one of our colonies? And when she learned that that was true, it really laid an impression on her. And we know that because on Henson's third trip to England, when he was just there on a speaking tour, trying to alleviate the debt that he'd gotten himself into over the years, they received, he and his editor received a note from Queen Victoria asking them to come to Windsor Castle to have a private audience with the Queen. And imagine, imagine, you know, growing up, born into slavery, considered to be nothing but um, property. And in the end of your life, you are being hosted by the Queen of England. So he had a private audience with her. And we know that he left quite an impression on her because the day after their visit, she just wrote this glowing report in her, her diary about what a remarkable man he was. She wished that she could have written down everything that he had told her because he'd led such a fascinating life. Josiah's story was so remarkable that he inspired the character Uncle Tom in the famous book Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. The book exposed the cruel conditions of slavery and how families were being torn apart. It was so influential at the time that it played a major role in changing the societal view on slavery, and that eventually led to the American Civil War. But unfortunately, as time went on, and really, when I say time went on, I just mean within the first few weeks of that book coming out, people decided to profit in any way they could from Mrs. Stowe's novel. So all of a sudden, all these little Tom shows, as they became known, began springing up all across North America and in Europe as well. And the people who owned slaves, they used these Tom shows to kind of portray slavery in a more favorable light. And in order to do so, that meant changing the story around just a bit. And so these Tom shows changed the character of Uncle Tom into this man who was smiling and happy, non-complaining. He was perfectly fine with his situation in slavery. The the, uh, slave owners wanted people to think, This slavery is not such a bad thing. These workers are happy on these fields. In those plays, it was illegal to have a white person act beside a black person on the stage. So if you had a black character in the story like Tom, you had to have a person portray them that is white, but in black face. So they would use uh, 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 makeup to paint their face black. And they portrayed any of the black characters in the story in that manner. And, you know, when you go to a a theater, you want to be entertained. You want to to laugh. 
So they changed the character of Tom into this comical creation who would come shuffling on stage and his movement and his speech would all be exaggerated to the point that it was comical and embarrassing. And in those plays, he would sell out his own uh, people of his own race, just so he would be treated better by the, the overseer and the plantation owner. So when you went to these plays and saw this is what an Uncle Tom is, nobody wanted to be associated with that. So now we've been left with this negative connotation, this stereotype of an Uncle Tom being a sellout of his people. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Josiah Henson, the inspiration for that character was the exact opposite of a sellout. His whole purpose of of starting the settlement here in Dresden was to educate them and provide them with the best opportunities they could have going forward. Some in society today believe that racism is a relic of the past, something that's behind us. Sadly, however, this is not the case. And that's why Black History Month is so important, so that stories like Josiah Henson's can be given the attention they deserve. We were hardly recognized as people. And now we get a whole month, a whole month. Look at all the groups that don't get a month. And then we could, and like I say, we build on it. I'm able to operate a tour. Well, I was, um, I will again, it's just a new format, but I was able to run a tour company on black history, build on that one month of awareness. It may be, we get one month to get, start the ball rolling, but we have 365 days a year to pursue it further. That was Leslie Harper again. She's a fifth generation black Canadian whose ancestors went through a similar journey to that of Josiah Henson, escaping from Kentucky and reaching freedom in Ontario. And this is another thing. I wish I had known the story of my enslaved family earlier in my lifetime because I think my life might have taken a better path. Mm -hmm. I may have felt that I belonged more. And what I'm so proud of is these two boys out of Kentucky. Now we're talking Kentucky. We're talking 1,500 miles. You want to walk to Kentucky? I flew from Kentucky. And I, I can tell you, it's, it, that wouldn't have been easy either. This was in 1851 when the Underground Railroad would have been established. And my Uncle Kit, who told the stories to me, this is all he could, was able to share with me. Because like I said, they didn't talk about it a lot. So these two boys... And their nine-year-old sister took off from Kentucky, whether they were part of a larger group, whether they took off on their own, what facilitate, I don't know. They were sleeping and um, something woke the boys up. Could have been hound dogs. You'd be chased on these journeys um, if they knew you were missing. And can you imagine the, the, the bark of dogs? And if you weren't near water to kill the scent, oh my gosh, how terrifying. With a nine-year-old. So something woke the boys up and their immediate action was to flight, fear, take off a quarter of a mile away from where they were. And they remembered they had left their nine-year-old sister sleeping in a log. Well, first of all, the nine-year-old sister heard this noise. Can you imagine the fear she would have had? And then these boys, what do we do? Do we go back and get it? What do we do? Do we leave her there? What do we do? We get caught. What do we do? They, For the love of family and their baby sister, and I could almost cry sometimes when I think about it because they put their own lives in peril, they went back and they rescued that baby sister and the three of them arrived in Canada in 1851. Awesome, just awesome. And, they, but, and many, and they're not the exception. This is what many, many, many Blacks of my 
my culture, my group, I like to call the African diaspora, the African diasporas, because once we left that African shore, our perception and some of our experiences were different. Despite being a big part of black history in Canada, many of these stories, like Josiah Henson's, like that of Leslie's family, are just not widely known. What I share on my, my tour sometimes when they talk about not being in the textbooks, I apologize to newer blacks and tell them why that might not have happened. First of all, I never understand why we always have to have, why you, in this day and age we wait for, we, it seems like we're always waiting for the white person to acknowledge us. We don't need them. And a lot of times they'll get it wrong anyway. So I'm just as happy if they just let us do it. And I want more of us to tell the story. Um, but I tell people and I say that when we came to Canada, we had more pressing issues than getting into textbooks in the 1830s, in the 1850s. We had to put a roof over our head. We had to put food in our stomach. We had to find jobs. We had to have clothing. We had to deal with the Maslow's hierarchy of needs first, because I think so many did it, it wasn't talked about. And then in my family, I didn't get my story, my family's story until much later in life. And um, I think a part of it was I would ask, and I was told, never mind that, you're here now. And I think a part of it may have been, I can only theorize, number one, it was still fresh. I'm old enough that I still had family members who would have seen me enslaved, could have been, could have seen their enslaved. My uncle Kit, who told me the stories I share with you, my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, he looked into the eyes of the enslaved, his um, grandfather that came out of slavery. So it would still be fresh. So they may not have wanted to talk about that. Or um, it was a secret. I'm not sure what, but I'm very grateful that Uncle Kip finally did share with me some of those stories. Did I know some um, Blacks um, in particular in Southwestern Ontario? They know their history. It was taught to them, but it was taught basically to them, not to the outside world, because we didn't appreciate how important our history was going to be to the fabric of the Canadian history. When I grew up, I can't speak uh, for everybody, but when I grew up here in Dresden, um, and I know many of my colleagues, same thing. We didn't hear about Black history. We didn't see the face of Black Canadians in the building of this nation. And that's wrong because we were right there beside everybody else helping to build it. And when you don't see yourself in the story, you know, it's hard to feel part of the nation. So I hope we do a better job uh, of teaching the youth. So we really, really got to step up our game and, and tell these stories of, of these freedom seekers, what they endured and how they were contributors to Canadian society. These stories show a level of perseverance, bravery and determination that few of us can even imagine. They're important. They're part of the fabric of the Canadian story. And the people involved should be revered the way other historical figures are. They are stories that can still have an impact today. I often think that, you know, what we can accomplish today, we, we don't have the oppression of, of slavery as it existed then that's keeping holding us back from achieving everything that we, we want to do. So if we really put our mind to it the way Henson did, imagine what we can accomplish.
This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Craig Needles and produced by Patrick Magermans and Haley Chang. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.